Up next, a triple homicide shocks a small town. There's three great guys and they're gone and nobody knows why. The crime scene has some unusual evidence, but detectives still can't identify a suspect. It was very stunning, a bit of a shockwave. A lot of speculation on what had happened, why it happened, who could have done it. The killer leaves an odd clue behind, and it proves a dog can sometimes be a homicide investigator's best friend. We would have never in a million years thought that it was dog feces that was going to lead us where we needed to go. With a population of fewer than a thousand people, Lakeville, Indiana, is classic rural America. I grew up there. It's a small town where families are intertwined and we know each other and we've all grown up together. Just a very safe and comforting place to be. But Lakeville is only a few hours' drive from Detroit and from Chicago. So in recent years, this small town has seen some big city problems. Over the years, the violent crime has, has slowly increased and has gotten bad. We, again, are no different than any other city throughout the country that has a gang problem and drug problems. On a September afternoon in 2000, a contractor went to check in with three co-workers who were doing renovations at a large, upscale property on the outskirts of town. What he found continues to shock Lakeville residents to this day. His co-workers were dead. All three were laying side by side on the floor of an outbuilding, a barn. They had been shot, point blank, in the head. We're looking at three bodies hands duct taped behind them, appearing to uh, have been executed. My brother called to say that Dad had been shot, and I figured he was maybe out on a tractor in the field or doing some work for my cousin, and maybe an errant bullet had hit him from a hunter. And uh, I said, okay. I said, where do I need to go? And he said, there's nowhere to go. He was dead. The victims were identified as 58-year-old Wayne Shoemaker, 54-year-old Lynn Ganger, and 30-year-old Corby Myers. Of the three victims, 30-year-old Corby Myers was the youngest. Myers lived in Bremen and was engaged to be married. Recently, he found out his fiancée was pregnant with their child. People were shocked because these were workers from small towns in the area and, you know, quiet, rural-type area, so... It's always shocking to hear about something like that. No one had any idea who would do this. The victims and the homeowners, who were gone while a barn on their property was being renovated, had no known enemies. Who? How? Why? Why did this crime occur? These gentlemen were hardworking family men. Why did they have to end up in the fashion that they did? A possible motive presented itself after detectives went from the barn to the main house. The entire house had been ransacked, drawers pulled out, and, you know, dropped on the floor. 
everything's disturbed inside the home. It was an extensive scene to cover. We were there for several days doing fingerprints, you know, collecting evidence, documenting uh, everything that we see through you know, photography and video, um, as well as then inside the barn. It looked as if the killer used a ladder to enter the house through an upstairs window. Since the homeowners weren't there, it was impossible to say what, if anything, had been stolen. The home was isolated. It sat at the end of a half-mile-long driveway and was adjacent to a large cornfield. We were in the cornfield looking for any type of footwear to see if there was an escape route, if they ran through the corn, if they dropped any of the firearms, if they dropped any type of evidence, a ball cap, which would lead us to DNA analysis. But we did not locate anything. We were even up in the state police helicopter. It was just to no avail. Investigators had few clues, no murder weapon, no suspects, no witnesses, and the community desperate for answers. I want to know why this happened. I want to know who did this. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. It was the middle of September in a quiet corner of the county near Lakeville where a construction worker found three co-workers dead. It was somewhat surreal. The first few days, it was just kind of spent trying to understand, just really kind of come to terms with what had happened and explaining to my children who were young. It was hard to escape the conclusion that these three construction workers were specifically targeted for murder. But no one could identify anyone who would want them dead. And robbery didn't make sense as a motive. Nothing had been stolen from the victims and when the homeowners returned, they told police that, except for some jewelry, nothing of value had been taken from the house. We had two crime scenes. We had the actual homicide scene, which was in the pole barn, as well as a burglary that occurred inside the home. Inside the barn, we collected lumber, shell casings, bullet fragments, uh, the duct tape that was around the victim's wrists. But no foreign fingerprints were found in the house, in the barn or on the duct tape used to bind the victims. Then that's not uncommon that not to find any fingerprints there because the suspects may have been wearing gloves, which in this case, our investigation led us to believe that they were wearing gloves. 
the victim's autopsies provided a lead. Slugs recovered from each of the bodies provided a possible identification on the murder weapon. Uh, it was a 9mm. Uh, we believe it was a Tech 9. The ballistics said that Tech 9 would have been one of the weapons that could have fired the rounds. Authorities say this type of gun is popular with gang members. A very large handgun. It almost looks like it could be some type of an automatic weapon. A very large, large clip had a bit of a muzzle shroud. So a pretty imposing, pretty imposing weapon in terms of just visually. Among the last people to see the victims alive was a man who delivered a load of lumber on the morning of the murders. The lumber contained possible evidence. On top of one of these pieces of wood was a barely visible shoe print, apparently from a sneaker. This led to another possibly similar clue. On the sidewalk, by the side entrance of the home just below the window that was entered by the suspects, there was a small pile of dog feces on the sidewalk. And our evidence technicians looked at it and saw what appeared to be footwear impressions in that dog feces, which they documented again through photographs and that, and then they collected the feces itself for possible future testing. The dog feces had hardened and in a stroke of luck provided an ideal template for this shoe print. And it looked like it was made by the same shoe that left the print on top of the wood. A fact later confirmed by side-by-side analysis of both prints. These shoes didn't match any shoes from people who lived in the house and didn't match the shoes of any of the victims. Given the print's locations, it was almost certain the shoe that made the prints was worn by the killer. We were pretty sure that we had the, the shoes that were right below the window that was entered by the suspects. But while this was solid evidence, investigators still had no suspects. The possibility of the killer running free unnerved the community and horrified investigators. There was a real concern, you know, this is a type of situation that could simply go unsolved. But then investigators got a surprise call that turned the case upside down. The caller said she was watching news of the murders with a young co-worker and that this young woman, no relation to the victims, said she knew who did it. If she hadn't said anything, I suppose, you know, this may still be just an unsolved mystery. This lady started the ball rolling on, on really all of our information in this case. Two days after the triple murders in Lakeville, Indiana, analysts were still processing the crime scene, but had no suspects. Then they got an unexpected call. The call came into the dispatch center of a woman saying that she supervises a girl um, who was at work at the time when she saw the news and that she had broken down and started crying and made the comment that she thought she was responsible for what had happened. The woman in question was 18-year-old Charity Payne, and her role in the case remains a source of controversy. She was the ex-girlfriend of a young man who lived in the house where the murders took place. Charity's story was that one day she happened to run into a group of men she'd never seen before. They told her they were gang members from out of town 
and were casing homes in Lakeville because they wanted to pull off a crime. They called it a lick that was slang at the time for robbery. I really think there was just a lot of flirting and teenage fooling around going on there. Charity later said she didn't think the men were serious, but that she played along anyway. I think she was trying to be a big shot around these guys who were, you know, obviously guys who were involved in criminal activity and was trying to impress them. Charity told the gang members she knew the perfect place for a robbery. Her ex-boyfriend's family was gone for the day. Their house would be empty, and there were plenty of valuables there. She said there was an opportunity where they could make a lot of money. Now, how that came up, I have no idea. She was able to provide information to her new friends about items in the house, how to get around the alarm system, the schedule for the cleaning lady, all those kinds of things. When Charity told police this story, it became immediately apparent to them that these gang members were capable of murder. Because she told them, you can't go on a certain date that there's housekeepers going to be there. And they go, we don't care, we'll kill her. Charity Payne didn't know much about these men. Three of them used street names, but one of them, the apparent leader of the group, did not. His name was Philip Stroud, and he was well known to law enforcement. He had probation violations and he had other pending cases. He had lucked out and had an attempted murder case dismissed against him a few months earlier because there were evidentiary issues. But he still had cocaine charges. He was scheduled to go on trial close to when this happened. Investigators armed with a search warrant found Stroud at his girlfriend's apartment, and the search provided a possible break in the case. There's a hallway and a bedroom, and uh, I'm standing talking to Philip's girlfriend, and when I looked down, I only saw two pairs of shoes, um, and they were stacked side by side, neatly up against the wall. I asked whose shoes those were. She said the ones were hers, the smaller ones were hers, and then she said that the other shoes belonged to her boyfriend, Philip Stroud. Investigators, aware of the two sets of shoe prints found back at the crime scene, did a cursory examination of this pair of shoes. I noticed that there appeared to be feces in the heel of one of the shoes. We were pretty sure at that point those were probably going to be the shoes. An examination of photos of the shoe prints from the crime scene showed that Stroud's shoes were consistent with those prints. But... Because the prints weren't perfectly clear, this examination did not definitively tie Stroud or his shoes to the scene. However, a new type of forensic science presented a possible way to do that. I just went on a search to see who could do animal genetics. I always led to University of California Davis that had an animal genetics laboratory, but at the time they were not really doing forensics. They were just getting into it. The first case in the world solved by animal DNA was in Canada in 1996, when DNA recovered from a white cat named Snowball tied her owner to a murder. The first case in the U.S. came two years later, when DNA from a dog wounded while protecting its owners was found on the killer's clothing. But no one had ever tested dog feces for evidence in a murder trial. Still, prosecutors who didn't have many options were hopeful it would work. I remember the people in the prosecutor's office were super excited about it. They thought this was like, you know, the next best thing to slice bread.
Investigators were all but certain that Philip Stroud and three other gang members were responsible for the triple murder that shocked northern Indiana. The key piece of evidence was dog feces, apparently stepped into by one of the killers, a possible source of DNA. We're the only lab in the United States actually doing this for domesticated animals. People were realizing that this was a tool that they could use. Even prosecutors or ASPCA agencies realized that DNA, if they had the evidence, could be tested by us and perhaps used in some sort of case. These analysts focused mainly on two pieces of evidence, the dog feces at the scene that contained partial shoe prints and Philip Stroud's shoe, which appeared to have dog feces on its heel. The question now was whether that material on the sidewalk at the house could be tied to Stroud's shoe and, crucially, could be tied to one of the two dogs that lived at the murder site. This is where it gets fun. I actually literally went out to the homeowners and their dogs and actually swabbed the interior of their cheeks to get a DNA sample for the laboratory. And they weren't too happy with me, so I give veterinarians a load of credit. Quality genetic profiles were generated from both dogs. The fecal matter, however, was a different story. Fecal matter was not something we had a great amount of experience with. Uh, And fecal matter is not an easy substance to work with in terms of getting DNA from. Fecal matter, from animals or humans, does not contain DNA. But a genetic profile can still be generated cells aren't actually in the fecal matter. They're on the outside. So, you know, you can think of when you're going to the bathroom and that's coming out of your body. It's scraping along that 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 tube it's leaving. Um, and that's where those cells are coming from. The sample was treated with an enzyme that released the DNA into a neutral liquid for analysis. We use the same machinery and we use the same methods that they do in a human DNA crime lab. We use slightly different reagents uh, in order to pinpoint the areas of the DNA that we want to look at. And ours are obviously animal-specific, and humans are human-specific. The resulting DNA profiles from one of the dogs at the murder house, from the fecal matter at the walkway outside the house, and from the fecal matter on Philip Stroud's shoe, all matched. This left no doubt. The DNA from all these sources was linked directly to one man, Philip Stroud. This proved he and his fellow gang members were the killers. People don't think of their pets as being useful in terms of evidence at a crime scene. That's the last thing you think of when you look at your little guy who uh, is wagging his tail. So uh, I think it is still very surprising to people. Had Stroud not stepped into this dog poop, this case might never have been solved. The odds of the material on his shoe coming from someplace other than the crime scene were extraordinarily high. It was a half astronomical number. It was, you know, even higher than the odds of winning the Hoosier Lottery or something like that, or the Mega Millions. Prosecutors believe Stroud and his co-defendants came to Lakeville specifically to commit some type of crime. They were armed and looking for an opportunity. Oddly, that came in the form of a chance meeting with Charity Payne, who gave them all the information they needed. When the gang arrived at the house, they didn't expect anyone to be there. Then they saw the three construction workers. At this point, the gang could have left. Instead, Philip Stroud made the fateful decision to go through with the robbery. 
The problem was that the construction workers could identify them and had to be eliminated. The gang found the three men. According to the other defendants, Philip Stroud fired the fatal shots. The gang used the ladder to enter the house. Charity Payne told them they could bypass the alarm by going through an upstairs bedroom. But murder wasn't part of the original plan. Now they had three people shot to death on the property, and it was clear they were responsible. Investigators believe the men, fearing they'd be discovered, panicked and left after quickly ransacking the house. At some point, Philip Stroud stepped into fresh dog feces on a walkway outside the house, leaving a recognizable partial print, but he didn't realize this and continued to wear the shoes. The tiny bit of fecal matter he tracked from the crime scene was a gold mine of forensic evidence and ultimately exposed Stroud and his gang as the killers. This case was really unique in that it's almost the closest that we've come to being uh, the smoking gun in a case, the, the thing that really kind of clinches things. In September of 2002, Philip Stroud was found guilty of felony murder and sentenced to death. That sentence was later appealed, and he is serving a life term. Stroud's co-defendants got sentences ranging from 45 to 275 years. In this case, I think all of these guys needed to be in prison and need to be locked away forever because they are very violent people. And in my opinion, they're sociopaths that were just going to hurt more people. And if they ever get out, there's no doubt in my mind they'll return to a life of crime and probably hurt others. Charity Payne, who knowingly or not, put the murder plan into action, was released after serving a four-year sentence. The trauma of these senseless killings remains, but the case shows that clues, once not even considered as evidence, can now lead to convictions. We get a whole lot of satisfaction from knowing that we've done the evidence justice. We've communicated clearly what the evidence is saying. It's a unique case. You know, let's face it, you know, animal feces, dog feces, DNA to solve a crime. In the whole grand scheme of things, it worked out the right way. 